Welcome back to the program. Let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' holy name, I thank you and praise you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would prompt and guide me to share in a way that is open and honest, that is faithful and true to you, Lord, and to your mission in my life. I pray, Lord, that what I share would be of, uh, of a help, that it would help bring light into dark places, help overcome division, help bring understanding, uh, help build bridges. Lord, all those good things, however I'm going to describe it, Lord, I just want good things. I want light and, and life for us. I pray, Jesus, that you would bind up and cast away this evil of this coronavirus. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen the efforts of uh, all sectors of society who are waging a battle against this virus and its deadly impacts. And Lord, I pray that we, uh, as members of the church, as members of the body of Christ, and as members of this human family and, and living in this same state of Washington, that, Lord, we would learn how to move forward in dialogue, that we'd learn how to share and to hear, to be open, and, uh, and to learn from each other. Lord, just move us from division into a place of unity. Help overcome and knock down walls that seem to be uh, unable to be uh, overcome. Lord, do a mighty work. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Today I'm going to share Unsound Insight in a way that I don't think I've heard anybody share about this whole COVID reality. Um, I'm going to break it up into uh, several sections. In the first section, I'm going to talk about COVID protocols and um, just share a bit about how we have lived with them um, in, in my own family and where I'm living. Um, and... And then I'm going to talk about the concept of a treatment plan for COVID and how this is going to bring up, obviously, the concept of vaccination. These are pressing issues, and they are issues that have divided. Whether or not they had to divide, they have divided. And so I'm going to talk in a way that I hope will at least foster understanding and because that that could be the beginning of a path forward. And I say this because I I've heard several stories just in the past few days from my wife Carrie, who was over at her uncle's funeral um, last Friday, um, as well as some folks that were visiting over the weekend from the west side, from the Puget Sound area, um, who brought stories about um, what happened when they happened to be in public places without a mask on. And uh, this one story of a father with a, a young child um, was sworn at, just, uh, you know, you know, cursed at and, and cussed out uh, right in front of his little child. And there was, and the claim was, these people obviously don't care about other people. They just want to kill them. They, they just don't care if what they're doing is going to kill other people. Uh, that sort of claim. And um, Carrie came back, and, and the way that she described it was this sort of uh, COVID addiction that it, it just seemed to be omnipresent where there was just this urge and this energy to, to look at, think about, talk about, and, and look around at, and, and how you showed up in public. How you showed up in public um, would, in some ways, be manifesting a stance vis-a-vis um, COVID. Uh, COVID-19 and, and how you were relating to it. 
And so I was like, well, people seem to appreciate last week when I shared a bit about uh, the need for folks to be compassionate to each other. And, and for you folks who are facing um, hard decisions about lifestyle and about work, um, employment, and about how to live in a neighborly way when there are like fundamental and seemingly unbridgeable distances between how you're relating to the uh, coronavirus, to COVID-19, and how your neighbors are doing it, between you and how your employers are doing it, between you and how other members of the church are doing it. And I'm like, well, let me share from, from my experience. Let me share about what we have experienced. And so uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share from my experience. And 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 here's the thing. When I say share from my experience, it's not just my experience. Um, I'm going to use uh, a story. It's a true story um, as an analogy to help uh, explain and maybe at least cast a little bit of light on the difference as it relates to COVID protocols. Now, what I mean by COVID pro- protocols, I mean things like okay, because of coronavirus, you need to quarantine, right? Early on, that meant stay in your home and only come out if you had to do things that were necessary. Quarantine also meant only stay in small groups and, you know, groups not, you can't get together with groups over a certain size. At first, it was like as small as 10 and or only members of your own household. So quarantining was one first example of a COVID protocol. The second would be social distancing. If you are going to go out, keep at least six feet distance between you and someone else if you're going to be in public places. So social distancing is something that has entered our vocabulary. And then the third would be mask wearing. And so um, that is obviously something that is very visible and very uh, obvious um, when you're out in public. And so places where you're being required to wear a mask, etc. Um, and then um, other uh, recommended uh, uh, practices around um, washing your hands um, uh, and cleaning surfaces. So I think those would be examples of the protocols. Now, those also had a part to play in how we lived our life as a community of faith in the church. And so that meant, first of all, not being able to have Mass in person. And so early on, there was an early stage of having mass virtually only. And then there was a bit of a, an opening up of things. And so there was very limited seats available uh, in churches or churches where mass was being held outside uh, because of um, uh, the the idea that the space wasn't open. But then when churches first opened, you might remember at Mass, there was no giving out of communion in some parts of the state. In some dioceses, there was no giving out communion. And then if communion was given out, it was only given out in the hands. But there was definitely social distancing, limiting the number of people, and um, even like a, a strong protocols around you know accompanying people up to communion so that people's distances would be kept. No singing was a, another again an example of a protocol, right? Regarding um, regarding corona uh, re- regarding the coronavirus and, and and what was the idea? The idea was we put these protocols in place, we put these practices in place in order to prevent the spread of COVID nineteen because corona. COVID-19 is a deadly virus. It is a horrific thing. It is a deadly virus. It is. And, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of Americans have lost their lives as a result of the coronavirus. And so it is a deadly thing. It is It is not a game. It is not a joke. It is a serious matter. But the question becomes, um, 
what was the uh, value of these protocols? Because you can see there's a, a big divergence um, in different states, right? In different states across the country, you have different implementations of these different protocols. So um, in some ways, what I'm, what I'm here to share right now is the lived experience of my family and um, of, I don't know, tens of thousands, 100,000 other people, um, so many of whom are, uh, that I've, I've interacted with, you know, ten, thousands upon thousands of them anyways, that I would see on a regular basis at my parish, at many parishes that I would attend for daily Mass or occasionally for Sunday Mass, the schools where my, my kids were attending, and the sporting events my kids were participating in, and when we would go out and socialize at restaurants and um, walk the city streets. And, um, and I want to offer a contrast. And so here's the, here's the example, the analogy I wanna, uh, I'm giving you. It goes back to a Mother's Day. Carrie loves Mother's Day, and one of the things that she loves on Mother's Day is that she gets to achieve the dream of the Curran family going on a hike to a beautiful waterfall. So this is one of the things that we did for a number of years. It was, okay, guys, going to get up early. We're going to do our Mother's Day hike. We're going to make a video of that hike, and we're going to go to um, sort of a, you know, a local popular uh, but nearby Cascade Mountain waterfall. So this one year we went, and it's on video. We have it on video. It's kind of a funny scene because um, we went on this hike, and the hike has a big ta-da view at the end, like a big win. And the big wind view is where you can walk across this bridge and you sort of stop halfway across the bridge and you can look down and you're seeing this sort of cascading waterfall that goes down and it's just lovely. Well, there was a problem. And the problem was when we um, made our way, we got two thirds of the way up to where this Tada view, this bridge view was. And we came to it like a turn, a turning point in the path, like this well-trodden path, right? It's a beautiful path. They've done a great job of grooming the path to keep things smooth and easy, and you can follow it along. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a path that my younger kids, we could, we could, when we had these younger kids, we could all do it and peacefully and well. It wasn't going to overwhelm us. Well, we got to this place where they had put up a, a, a gate across the path. And there was a sign on the gate that said, do not pass. Do not go down this path. Uh, You know, dangerous path. Do not go down this path. Instead, take this other side trail to get to the beautiful Tada view on the bridge. And we're looking at this sign (laughs) on this gate. And it was, you know, State Department of whatever, whatever was saying, thou shalt not pass. <laughs> and uh, you know, danger ahead on the path. Don't go that way. Go around. And we're sitting there, and we're watching people come up, and they look at the sign, and they look at the gate, and they're like, "Okay," and they go along this path. And and the path that they went on um, was uh, like a narrow path that was not groomed. It was not nearly as like formed. Um, and it was kind of heading upwards, kind of like bivouacking almost through the trees up uh, a higher, like a roundabout way. And um, kind of, we're kind of looking at that and we're looking at the gate and thinking, okay, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden we saw some people coming towards us, towards us from the direction, um, down the path towards us from on the other side of the gate. 
And so they come up and they hop over the gate and we're like, um, can you help us understand what's going on here? And they said, well, yeah, we came from the bridge, which was that that's where the path led to, the bridge that was the destination. And we're like, um, what happened? They said, well, we followed the directions on the way there. We took that path. And then when we got to the other side, we talked to some people who were like, the path, the normal path, the path that is barred off and say, don't go down this path, was actually fine. It was it was perfectly fine. There was nothing wrong with the path for 99% of the path. There was only this tiny little stretch of path. It was about six or eight feet long where some of the, the path, um, if you look towards the edge of it, had, had collapsed down. So instead of the path being, say, 10 feet wide, about three or four feet of the path had fallen down, had sort of, you know, avalanched down. And now the path was only about six feet wide instead of 10 feet wide. And and the length of that, like, collapsed portion was only about nine feet. So he said, they said, it is, it's, it just wasn't a thing. We found that out and we're like, well, we're going to go back the other way. We're going to go back the way that we would normally have come. And so sure enough, they came back and and that's the ones that we encountered. They said, we went the way they told us to go. That We followed the sign that said, dangerous path, do not go this way. State Department of whatever, don't go this way. Go the other way. And they said, let me tell you about that way. It was harsh. First of all, it was bumpy, rocky, it was slippery, and it was not a really clean, clear, open path. It kind of moved, uh, moved some branches out of the way. And, and we made it, but it was harder. It was longer. We got scraped up. We almost slipped and fell. And it was kind of like, that is not a fun path to walk. I do not like that. Well, now, we got there. We did eventually make it around, the long way around, that we made it to the, to the, um, to the bridge. And, uh, and, you know, we did. We got to see the lovely view. But we're like, was it really necessary to do all of that? And then we found out about no, you can walk along the path that you always come down, the well-groomed trail that is the normal trail that people go on, that they've tended to and cared for. They said the only difference was that one nine-foot segment where some of it had collapsed. They said, just be careful. Just You'll, you'll see it. It's about 100 feet down the trail. Once you get beyond that, it's the same old trail, 99%. It's the same trail. And we're like, okay, well, we've got a choice. We can follow what this sign says with this gate up, this foreboding sign that says, don't go this way because it's dangerous. Instead, go around this other way and take this other trail and, and you'll get there to the, uh, to the bridge. Now, do we believe what these folks have told us who took both paths? Or do we just say, you know what, let's just follow the rules and go on that other path? Well, I'll tell you what we did in just a minute. I think you see where this is going. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. Today I'm sharing about uh, something that's a, a burden in my heart, a pain in my heart, and that is the division that exists between uh, family members, members of the same parish, members of the same neighborhood, mem- members of the same city, members of the same county, members of the same state, members of the same school. Put in your favorite local community. And there's a division that is painful and existing between people who are choosing to relate to the coronavirus and 
attempting to walk a path that is the right path for them in different ways. And it's it's not just that it's it's painful that there's it, the pain isn't just that there are different paths. The pain is that there are these claims that those who are following the the protocols, the rules in one way, are the only ones who care about the health of their neighbors or their own health, and that those who are doing something different, who are following a different path, are obviously people who don't care about human life and are really just killing people because they're not following the rules. Well, I don't have all the answers for that, but I at least want to try to foster understanding because there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for dialogue around like, why would you do that? Like, why would you do that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing something different than we're doing? And and why? Because right now there just seems to be upsetment about it. So I'm beginning with just this reality of COVID protocols. And COVID protocols are different depending on where you live. Certain counties, certain even schools, school districts, certain places in the state. And then this program is heard not only in the state of Washington, but it's heard in Alaska, it's heard in Idaho, it's heard in Western Montana, and and places that stream it around the country. So there are different experiences. And I get to experience the differences and the painful aspects of those differences when folks come and visit me from the west side or when we go back to the west side, when we go back to the Puget Sound area. So we hear from listeners and we get to meet these folks and look them in the eyes. And, um, and they just, they wonder about, like, how did you come to this regarding the way that you're choosing to do this? So I'm just sharing my experience. And you know what? Experience does have a, uh, it has a power to enlighten um, realities. Uh, truth and wisdom are connected to human experience. And so, you know, you hear about, like, what's the difference between someone who just has knowledge and someone who has wisdom? Well, the person with wisdom has that that grounding in human experience. They've tried and tested and proven through their lived experience what it was they said they believed. And so you get that, right, versus people who just have information in their heads. And so what I'm going to be sharing with you is not something that is, I'm not trying to make a scientific case. I'm trying to share with you for those of you who are following um, uh, in a very, um, uh, very, uh, uh, let's say, uh, literal way, all of the, the protocols around quarantining, social distancing, and mask wearing, when you come to the east side, when you come to Spokane, when you come to northern Idaho, you, you see something different. And you might wonder, like, do people, like, do you want to see people die? What, what's going on there? Well, this is what I'm sharing with you about. And, and I did it by talking about this. I'm starting it by using this example of the two trails. A true story, in Mother's Day, we got to this point in the trail where there was the gate in the sign, don't go this way. And then we found out from folks who had come from that way that, no, no, the trail, which is the main trail, just has a small section of the trail where a portion of it had given way. And um, and just be careful. And just, you'll just, it, it's a little bit more narrow than it normally is. And just stay to the left and, and you'll be 
fine. And then you get beyond that. And then the trail's the same as it is. And you can get to the beautiful view on the bridge and the normal way that you would. Or you honor what the sign says and the gate says, and then you'll walk all the way around in a, in a way that's harsher. It's a harder path that is more rocky. It's not so smooth because it's not a typical path. It's not as tended to. So there's uh, branches and, and, and there's rocks and there's the ability to scrape your leg and twist your ankle. And, uh, and, and it's just a, a, a much more difficult way to get to the bridge, but you can get there. So what did we do? We climbed the fence. We climbed right over the gate and we walked down 100 feet and we're like, oh, there it is. There's that section. It's probably about, you know, about nine feet. It was what I said, about nine feet. You just have to, okay, kids, stay to the left. Just be careful. Don't be reckless. Don't be foolish. Don't fool around. Just walk along. And they just walked across that nine feet of segment. And it wasn't like it was a foot wide or two feet wide or four feet wide. No, it was, it was wide. It was just not as wide as, as it normally was because some of it had given way. And so, okay, we just, we, we continued walking on the path and, and then we were beyond it. And there we go. We just continued on the walk and we got down to the other side. We had to climb over the other gate and we went on our way to the, to the bridge. And, and sure enough, there were other people who did the same thing. They walked on that same path. And when we got to the, to the bridge, there were other people who had come around the long way. And so there was a lot of communication going on right between, hey, you guys came from that way. We saw you jump the fence and, and you guys came around the other way. And it was some of the same sharing that went on. Yeah, it was not an easy way to go all the way around. And, and, and there was the, oh, well, it's the, it's the normal path, but there is that one segment. So if you're going to hop the fence and go that way, just realize there is that one segment where you just have to be more careful and just get to the side. Maybe you can even just kind of climb around it if you want to, but you know, just be, act with care and you'll be able to get beyond it. And so um, let me apply that now to these protocols that you've experienced, and, and many of you are still experiencing on the west side. On the west side, you have this experience of, I'm just focused on protocols. I'm not even talking about vaccination yet. That's the next topic. That's about treatment. How do you treat coronavirus? Now, I'm, not a, I'm a doctor, but not a medical doctor. I'm a theologian, so I'm not here to give medical advice. I'm not. And I'm not here giving you guidance on what you ought to do. I'm here to share so that you can at least understand. That's why I'm sharing. I want to help overcome division. I'm not recommending what you do. I'm saying to you, at least try to understand our lived experience, our lived experience. It's not yours. It's our lived experience so that at least don't hate on us. Don't speak with such harsh, hurtful ways because no one's trying to kill anybody. Okay, so um, so when it comes to this reality of, of quarantining, keeping people uh, apart from each other, and then... Um, when you get together, don't be in, uh, in larger groups. And, and if you're going to do that, you, you can't be in a, in a church together. And then you have to keep the social distancing. Um, and, and then you have to wear masks. And, and then we can add into that today. You, you should all be vaccinated. Because if you don't do those things, if you're not doing those things, if you're not quarantining, if you're not social distancing, if you're not mask wearing, and then let's add in, if you're not vaccinated, then you are going to be in a lot of danger. There's that gate and the sign. There's a lot of danger if you go down that path, a lot of danger uh, to your life or to the lives of others if, in fact, you are not following those things. Well, the experience that I want you to hear about is 
when I go to Mass on Sunday, I'm in a church that is full. And when I say full, I mean shoulder to shoulder. I don't mean every other pew, six foot distance. I mean it's full. And it's full to overflowing. And uh, in, at that church, after Mass, you go to Coffee and Donuts. And you can be there where everyone's mixing together. And there are hundreds of people. Hundreds of people at that hall that you can walk around and you're talking and sharing and kids and older people and families and uh, visiting for an hour. And that's happening at most of the masses. You have the church is mostly full or full, shoulder to shoulder, no social distancing, no uh, separation. And oh, receiving communion, it's not that a few receive communion on the tongue versus the hand. It's not even many or most. It's all. Everyone's receiving communion on the tongue. And so that experience, now you might think, okay, well, you experienced that last Sunday, but you have to be careful because that's exactly the kind of thing that could lead to an outbreak or like a really deadly outbreak. Okay, but if if I say that was the experience last Sunday and then two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 Sundays ago, 25 Sundays ago, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36. I'm doing this for a reason. I want you to hear about all these Sundays, 37, 38, 39, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 Sundays ago. Maybe not 90, 70 Sundays ago, all those Sundays, you had a full church, shoulder to shoulder, no social distancing, no, I've got to say it, no mask wearing. Um, I, now, occasionally, there'll be one person or maybe one family. I, I'm trying to think of, maybe there was a time where there were like two families um, that were wearing masks. And maybe they had good reasons to do it. Maybe they were were sick that day. They weren't. Maybe they were at the remnants of a flu, or maybe they were from uh, uh, from the state of Washington. Um, but when you hear that, I don't know if that means anything to you. I don't know if that has any impact on you. That like when I share with you that that's our lived experience where we haven't experienced this reality of quarantining, meaning we're not getting together with other people besides our own small group. And then when we get together with them, we're not social distancing. And when we're together with them, we're with them for a long period of time together in a, in a smaller space. And we're socializing with them afterwards and mixing together and receiving communion on the tongue. And we've been doing that for 16 months, 16 months. You hear the numbers. It's, it's not one week. It's not two weeks. And then, well, after mass, well, let's go to lunch together. And let's pick one of a, a hundred restaurants, a thousand restaurants, every restaurant almost, where the tables are not sparsely spread out. Um, people that are in the restaurants are not wearing masks. The servers are not wearing masks. The uh, Oh, but there's a crowd at the entrance waiting to get seats, and they're not distanced from each other. Um, and they're not wearing masks. And... That wasn't just last Sunday. It was two, three, four, five, six. Can I count the numbers again? Um, the lived experience, the lived experience 
of my family in this past year and several months is that most of the places we go, there isn't those there aren't those things in place that many of you hearing my voice still live with as a as a daily thing where if you go out there is a great sense of care and attention to just social distancing mask wearing and um, maintaining of things in a closed down limited state and space and when we come into that kind of situation when we come into that kind of situation we're actually used to seeing people's faces. We're used to interacting in a way that's free and natural and normal. Uh, that that's like uh, s- somehow distant from the world of coronavirus. Determines how it is you show up day to day in your neighborhood, in your local store, in your school, in your church. And, and I could do the same thing for the schooling in terms of how our kids are able to be together with other kids, how we're together to be with other families. And in a way that is, here's the thing. One of the things that you'd, you'd probably conclude is that if those protocols were so effective in preventing like a massive outbreak of this coronavirus that would have massively negative impacts on those who were not practicing those protocols, at what point would you see it? At what point would it emerge? And, and you'd think that it would have emerged by now, that you'd be hearing about this incredible, like overwhelming negative health impacts on families and communities that were not practicing those protocols. So I don't know if that has any impact on your own way of looking at things and doing things. And if not, it's fine. Again, you need to, in your lived experience, choose to do what makes sense to you. But at least just be aware that there are those of us who have been able to live in the last 16 months a very different reality than you've lived. Um, A reality that has not had a lot of quarantining, social distancing, or mask wearing, and, and the ability to actually practice our Catholic faith in a very rich and vibrant way that is just like it would have been two years ago really no different. And so if when we go to where you live and you're under a different regime of protocols and those protocols are being implemented with the idea that this is somehow like absolutely essential to save lives, it it, it doesn't match the truth of the lived experience of tens of thousands of us who have just lived a very different reality. And um, I, I don't know what to say other than please stop judging us in a harsh way as if somehow we don't care about health, the health and well-being of the elderly, of, of our own families, uh, of others. Um, and so that is, there's something about this where if we could only share a bit more of the lived experience of of these things, it might advance things forward. It might it might be a new voice. It might give new strength. 
All right, I'm up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the next step in this conversation. Welcome back to Sunsight. This is Tom Curran. And uh, I'm officially not giving any uh, guidance or advice to you about how you ought to live in a way that makes sense to you what these COVID protocols are. But I, I do want to invite you to at least consider the fact that different people are relating to the the best way for them and their families to, um, in in with a healthy way, make it through these challenges, because the um, the the raising up of it's the health of the people that is driving us to make the decisions we're making. Um, it it ought to be informed. Uh, not only by like the chosen experts that um, that uh, let's say corroborate their position, or maybe just simply are following what is on the gate and on the sign that says "Don't go down this trail." You have to go around this other trail. Because if we also pay attention to what has happened to those that are on this other trail, that other trail that is taking you through the woods that is uh, rockier steeper, more difficult, it's slippery, and it has other challenges on it. Yeah, you don't have that nine feet section where you have to be careful and stay to the left, but the 99% of the trail is still the same. That 1% you got to be careful about. And and some of you may not want to walk down that trail because of that 1% of that trail, which is, it, which is more dangerous because a section of it has fallen. And so you need to be more careful. And so for some of you, that would be a trail that maybe you don't want to go down. You have to go around the, the other trail. It's harsher. But there are negative impacts to that other trail. And um, depression, suicidal thinking, self-harm, uh, marital conflicts, uh, domestic abuse and violence, uh, sexual assaults, uh, anxiety. Uh, so many of these things have come up in those situations that have had the more intensive forms of these types of um, uh, protocols in place. That's not guessing. That's just, that, that's sort of the, the truth of the lived experience of those things. So it's not as if um, only like improved likelihood of health exists for those who follow that harder path filled with the more intensive protocols and those who choose to hop the fence and walk on the normal path and act with care for that nine foot section, um, that somehow uh, danger only lies in one way. And so um, I I share this with you again, in part to say, please, if you embrace one set of protocols that are in accord with the, um, the, the policies that you see posted around you or that are being asked of you, then please, it, you choose to do that, do the right thing for the right reasons. Absolutely. Um, but please don't impute um, ill will or uh, reckless, uh, thoughtless approaches to health and life for those that are not. They, they, in fact, may have um, some, some, something to share that, that you can be blessed by and benefit from. 
Um, I know when Carrie shared that, and she'll be on with me tomorrow, and she can share a little bit more of her experience of it, but when she talked about coming into a couple of settings over here at the funeral and afterwards, um, in some settings she was the only one without a mask initially, and then some people would begin to take courage when they saw her without a mask, and then they would take down their mask. And then by the end of the gathering, well, gee, there was a, 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 a good portion of the folks there who were now, you could see their faces, and they were able to interact and smile. And, and, um, and, and there was just this thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because some folks, there are some who are choosing to uh, follow that path because it's what the crowd is doing. And so the idea of there being an alternative is just not an easy thing to imagine. And so this is where um, this is where there is not just pressure that's being put upon folks to to conform, but there uh, there is other kinds of pressure. And I've heard about this where there are some parishioners who are like taking pictures or video of priests who are not following the protocols in the strictest way, and then all of a sudden those things are getting turned into this or that bishop or archbishop. And then all of a sudden that priest is being called on the carpet and is fearful of being um, being transferred to like some far-off parish assignment because they're not playing ball. They're not getting in line. They're not um, towing the, you know, towing the line and following the policy. This is a real thing. This this is a real thing. This is a real fear. This is really happening. And it's this this is really sad. This is this is not healthy. This is talk about healthy. This is not healthy. And so um I think that um when we when we talk about like how do we relate to the to this coronavirus, the, the protocols is one thing. Um and and you you can see I'm hoping that you can have a different ways of living that are going to bring life to you where you can disagree. You can disagree without having to conclude that obviously you hate people and you just want to see them die. That's why you're not following all the rules. And that's just not true. That's just not true. All right. The, the second part of this is about um, like the treatment of COVID-19. I'm not a medical doctor. I am not giving medical guidance. But I, I do want to just talk a bit about um, approaches, again, just to help you understand um, if, because there are different conclusions that people reach around, um, around the idea of the vaccination. Do you get the vaccine? Do you get vaccinated? And right now there are a lot of people who are facing the loss of jobs because of that. And there are different positions on it. And you know what? I'm grateful that in the state of Washington, there, there is still some based on the, the policies in place who are able to ask for a religious exemption or a medical exemption regarding getting vaccinated as a, um, as a requirement in order to retain a position, to, to keep a job. Um, and when that gets applied as a requirement, um, it's, it again is being done in, in the name of, well, this is for the sake of the health and well-being uh, of people. And, and for me, when I think about um, health and well-being, it's like, well, when there's an illness, there is an understanding of what that illness is, and then you come up with a treatment plan. And so uh, I'm not a doctor, but I wanted to share with you again how like sort of we've approached it, um, and then you can do what you want with that 
with that sort of information, whether it's helpful to you or not, but at least you can understand. So I actually approach this theologically. <laughs> I think about it in terms of preparation. There's remote, immediate, and proximate. So when you're preparing, uh, when, when you're trying to prepare for something, there's remote preparation. That's the preparation of your whole life. And so when I think about um, remote preparation for battling COVID-19, that has to do with your genetic disposition, right? There are some who just are genetically disposed to, towards certain kinds of uh, uh, illnesses. Uh, I know this in my own family right up front because um, we've been blessed with nine children. And one of them's adopted, and I tell you, <laughs> again, our lived experience of sicknesses in our homes, there were many instances, it was, it, was, it was uncanny, many instances where a certain kind of flu would come through the house and our adopted daughter would be the only one who got it or who got it much more severely than everybody else. And conversely, there were times when an illness would come through and all of us would become quite sick, and she wouldn't get sick at all, or it barely touched her. I remember one time, and she still laughs at it, where this like flu came through, and it, was, it had a principal manifestation like a stomach flu. And so you know how like horrible that is. Well, it was like a war zone, because our daughter, the adopted one, was like running from one to the other, like taking care of them. And she was the only one. She never got it. And she would laugh about it. And we were all just like down for the count until we got through it. And there were other times, I swear, where she was the one who had it and it didn't touch anybody else. And so by that, that's what I mean by genetic dispositions. Uh, Carrie, she has two, she had two hip surgeries, two re hip replacement surgeries because of this genetic disposition she had inherited. Um, it wasn't normal for other people her own age um, who was were as active in sports as she was. She had to get these hip replacements because of the genetic disposition, right? So there are some, it would seem, that because of their the constitution of the, literally their makeup, right, that they might be more disposed towards a more negative impact from COVID-19 than others. Okay, the immediate preparation, so you really can't do a lot about that. That just has to do with being aware of, you know, your own sort of disposition towards things. Um, and, and it does make us stop and pause and say, okay, for those who are disposed to be more significantly impacted, by something like the coronavirus or COVID-19, that they ought to take good care. They ought to take real attentive care uh, because of that, that background disposition that they have. Okay, but let's talk more about the immediate and proximate ways of treating COVID-19. Back in a minute, let's sound inside. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. My goal in, in sharing this way is to dialogue. It's the dialogue. It's not to bring you decisions. It's not to bring you conclusions. It's to bring you a dialogue because there doesn't seem to be a lot of dialogue. People will refer to their different sources of authority, their different sources of expertise around um, what um, ought to inform your judgment about what you ought to do regarding um, uh, either preventing or helping to overcome uh, the coronavirus or COVID-19 in your life. And I'm sharing from uh, my own experience, just because so many folks have asked me to do that, because I talk a lot about facing the challenges that we face today. 
So when I think about um, the the next step in terms of treatment, I think of immediate uh, preparation. Immediate preparation would be things like this. If you want to be uh, the best armed to battle against COVID, live a healthy life, uh, eat right, and exercise. And it would seem to me that that would be one of the, again, one of the background ways to help foster and promote um, the reduction of the seriousness of the impacts of COVID-19. Wouldn't you just think that if people were healthier, they would probably be, there would probably be fewer serious cases of serious impact by COVID-19. I could be wrong on that, but you hear about um, these folks who have um, other conditions are the ones that seem to be the most seriously impacted by COVID-19. So it would seem to me that a year and a half ago, if the government was like, all right, folks, obesity is a major, major negative thing in America. Let's work on that. We've got some time. Let's work on losing weight. Let's get, let's start exercising. Let's work on exercising and losing weight. And if we did that, we might have a much healthier country right now. What about things like smoking? What about giving up smoking and vaping. These are horrible things uh, in terms of lungs and breathing and health. And so if we, it could impact smoking and vaping and um, uh, uh, how about lifestyle decisions in terms of uh, drinking and sleep habits and, and uh, you know, lifestyle, right? These would be things that you call immediate preparation. These are things that are going to help dispose you to uh, be stronger in your battle against COVID or not. I don't think these things are radical, what I'm saying, huh? But wouldn't it be helpful to hear those things said? Like, let's let's recognize the dispositions that are in the background as we as we face this battle. Let's take the natural normal steps to get ourselves in a healthier position, because you know what? That does have an impact on our overall health and well-being. And then what about the immediate Right, so if you have the the proximate steps to take, well, I just think of my mom. Um, you know, when we'd like go outside to play, and it's the fall, she'd say, "Put on a jacket, or you're gonna catch a cold." Right? If you don't take the the easy steps, you can take, you're gonna more likely catch a cold. And COVID nineteen is not a cold. It's a it's serious business, and it leads to horrible deaths for many, many, many people. And so it's not a joke. And so we have to pay attention to that. But what about other preventative steps to help, here's the phrase, bolster the immune system, right? Um, what steps would you take to bolster the immune system? So airborne and other forms of, you know, like vitamin, take, take your vitamins, right, to help bolster the immune system, and it helps to do what? It, it helps to diminish the seriousness of the effects of the flu or it shortens the duration of the flu, these kinds of things. Like, why wouldn't we promote that? Why wouldn't we foster um, any insight we have uh, in like a, a regimen of vitamins and minerals that might help bolster the immune system to help uh, prevent the onset or to diminish and weaken the uh, length and intensity of uh, of something like COVID-19. And so, you know, you can do your own research. And, and so we did our research to try to figure out like, well, things like airborne seem to focus on uh, or, or other, these immune support um, regimens seem to focus on vitamin C, vitamin, uh, certain vitamin Bs, you know, and then vitamin D3 and zinc, right? These are the ones that you often hear about. 
why not promote those just to help like build up your immunity? That, that sounds like a good thing to do too, your immune system. Um, and then um, when it actually comes time to say, oh, I caught the flu. And is this flu the coronavirus? And then you, you get a test for it. Well, what's the right way to, to battle against that? Well, when I got COVID and um, I, I got COVID-19, it was uh, you know medically diagnosed. The treatment plan was take Tylenol. And if your breathing gets worse, go to the emergency room. And uh, that was it. That was the treatment plan. And ish, I, 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 I probably have to dig it out if there's anything else, but that was basically the treatment plan. And I'm like, maybe there are other uh, drugs that could be used to treat coronavirus. And this is where the media, I'm not sure has been honest or helpful. And this is where you quickly can fall into conspiracy theories. And I'm not here to, to go into those types of things around either um, things that have been said badly uh, or, you know, in, in using um, sort of straw men to take an honest eyes open look at certain approved drugs that have been widely distributed to, te- to um, apply against certain medical conditions uh, like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Um, and it's just like, boy, try to find a, like a simple, clean, clear uh, evaluation of those as potential sources of treating effectively um, COVID-19. And it's like, it's hard. It's hard to dig down and realize, oh, wow, look at all these clinical trials that have been done. Look at, uh, and, and take an, an eyes wide open. And look at that. You'd think that that would be something that wouldn't you want that fostered. Well, it seems as if the, the only um, treatment plan that gets the, uh, the, the vast majority of the attention is getting vaccinated. And, and for me, this bumps up against um, a question about, you know, these vaccines. And, and the questions are, are they safe? Are they effective? Are they durable? Are they moral? Right? So safe, effective, and durable are um, the qualities that any approved drug has to uh, raise to the level of. Um, I, for 10 years, I, I was a consultant to a biopharmaceutical company that was in drug development. And man, let me tell you, as I walked with them through the different phases of drug development, you know, doing animal trials and then humanizing this molecule in a way that then could be a phase one trial to see if it's going to be safe. And then a phase two trial to figure out, well, what doses and delivered um, over what frequency would have what kind of impact. And then you'd have to track any kind of um, adverse effects. And then from there, a phase three trials of different arms to figure out, okay, is this actually going to be safe um, and effective? And then how long is it going to last before you have to give uh, a second dose or a second shot? Um, so is it safe? Is it effective? Is it durable? And then how's it being manufactured? Because you can manufacture a small amount for small trials, but then if this is going to go um, and become uh, uh, an approved drug, well, you've got to approve a manufacturing process that is going to allow you to generate and and, um, and, and make um, you know the massive amounts of the drug that is going to then be distributed. So when I think about like the process of like how quickly this, like, and, and guess what? This took like years, years and years and years. And the approval processes were intense, intense. And it's like, my goodness, when I think about how much time and effort and energy uh, and research and study and tra- all that they did to get one drug approved, 
um, versus how quickly this all happened for the vaccines, it, is it at least worth stopping and asking, you know, are they safe? Are they effective? Are they durable? And when you hear people raise questions about the safety, well, one of the things they point to is this um, this online system where you track adverse events. And again, I'm not getting into the conspiracy theory stuff, but let's just say the media hasn't been helpful regarding an honest, eyes-open look at what do we take from the number of adverse effects, uh, adverse events, uh, and serious, you know, adverse effects um, of of the vaccines that ought to be looked at and say, you know, for other drugs that were in the process of being approved, would would those have been approved if this many adverse effects would have happened? Um, and and then you get into the question of the morality of the drugs. And, and I think that's where most of the people go most quickly is um, from a Catholic standpoint, if drugs are being produced um, in connection with uh, fetal stem cells, um, then it, it will fall under a, um, a question, at least for some, right? Some Catholics uh, around the idea of in good conscience, um, should I or should my family be vaccinated with the drug that's produced in, in relationship to these fetal cell lines? And so that's where the, uh, the objection in conscience um, uh, because of a moral issue comes in. But let me just say this, that those that are choosing not to be vaccinated, they may choose it because they don't think that these drugs are safe, or they don't think they're effective, or they don't think they're durable, meaning, guess what, you're going to need a booster shot now because of a variant, or maybe because of a health issue, because of the background disposition they have, maybe because of the um, uh, because of the moral issue they have, or, you know what, maybe because they have an alternative treatment plan that they've found successful, where they are able to uh, say, you know what, 99% of this trail is not that dangerous. And let's just, uh, let's get COVID in, in a, in, with as much healthy immune system and let's follow a different treatment plan. Let's get through it. And then we'll have natural immunity. So that whole herd immunity question. So I don't know, I hope this helps. That, that, that was my goal today. God bless you.